0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Welcome, and uh, this is the eighth annual Good Food Awards. I can't believe it's gone by so fast. To everyone who traveled to get here, welcome to San Francisco, to my hometown. My name is Sam McGannam and in addition to being your MC tonight, I'm the founder of the BioRite family of businesses right here in San Francisco. So while BioRite's been around since 1940, 2018 marks the 20th year that BioRite's been under my direction. Thank you. It's been 20 years of love, passion, and integrity. 20 years of learning, teaching, and sharing. 20 years of creating community through food. We're a family committed to feeding everyone in our community the same good food we're here to celebrate tonight. That's why I always get so fired up to be here. (laughs) And to be here with you, celebrating America's most exceptional makers of tasty, authentic, and responsible food together. Togetherness forms the essence of life in the beginning, in the end, and everything in between. Togetherness provides us with a sense of security, of belonging, and it gives us strength. Being together reminds us just how important it is to stay connected, to stay together. Wendell Berry, the prolific poet, farmer and community activists once said there are moments when the heart is generous and then it knows that for better or worse our lives are woven together here one with one another and with the place and all the living things this is why we're here together tonight tonight we gather as a community a community of real people making good food sharing with each other with passion, with conviction, and most importantly, with love. Every year, every time we gather together, we grow closer. Our hearts grow stronger and our lives more united. Now, more than ever, as we fight to protect our beliefs and to preserve our values, we need to emphatically support our community of farmers, Our community of crafters and our community of retailers who are because they are the ones that are doing the hard work to keep us together they're the ones enriching our lives enriching our communities and making our world a better place tonight is their night tonight is our night to celebrate them. Welcome, and I hope you all have a great time tonight. Thank you all for being here. You guys good? Awesome, I'm sure you're ready to dive right in, but there are a lot of thank yous that I still need to make and I promise, I promise that We'll get through the awards and then we'll eventually get you to the reception where you're gonna be able to enjoy some awesome food and cocktails as soon as we can. We also thought you'd like to know that since we've started eight years ago, we've more than doubled in size, going from seven categories to 15 categories this year. And our, Yeah. And our new tradition this year is to hear acceptance remarks from every other category. Otherwise, we would probably be here till 11 o'clock at night and you wouldn't be able to get a good craft cocktail. (laughs) Sarah gave me this list, so if I left you out, please don't bomb me, bomb her. (laughs) (laughs) And so the first thank you of the evening begins with all of you. I know many of you made a, a tremendous effort to be here. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much. A very special thanks goes to the San Francisco War Memorial, to the Fort Mason Center for Arts and Culture, Airbnb, and the Fort Mason Center Farmer's Market for being incredible hosts and collaborators this entire weekend. To Christine Chance and the 33 Good Food Awards committee chairs who organized the tasting of, get this, 2,057 entries this year. (laughs) Who will be joining us tonight and bringing the winners on stage. To the 277 judges who came together for that tasting And to the Impact Hub Bay Area, who for the eighth year in a row allowed us to overrun every inch of the 25,000 square square foot collaborative workspace for the blind tasting that happened in September. To the amazing Sam Allen, Annalena Barrett, Jessica Siski, Marissa Repka, Emily Marcus, Rachel Roby. These these are the hardworking women that this is the team behind the Good Food Foundation the nonprofit organization behind the Good Food Awards. And thank you to the dozens of volunteers that ensure this weekend is an unforgettable experience. To Dominic Phillips Event Marketing, BCV Architects, and Gamut SF, all of whom have, in a very literal sense, transformed this entire space for us tonight. To the incredible teams at Veritable Vegetable, Right Catering, Airbnb, Slow Food San Francisco, Heritage Foods, Rye on the Road, and Salt and Straw, as well as Coffee with Sandra Ellis for making the reception that awaits us possible. And as importantly, to the companies that put their money where their mouth is to build the good food movement. Very special thanks to our presenting sponsor, the Good Food Retailers Collaborative, yeah! The Collaborative's a group of 20 inspiring independently owned markets around the country whose members tonight will be presenting the awards. And our eighth year running premier sponsor, Williams Sonoma, without whom we could not have arrived here tonight. to our friends at Organic Valley, New Resource Bank, and the Vermont Cheese Council, who brought a taste of the small but mightily represented state of Vermont to welcome us here tonight with a little help from our talented bakers at Market Hall Foods and Canyon Market. And of course, to the incredibly inspiring Medhu Jaffrey for her forthcoming keynote. And to introduce her, please welcome Alice Waters. Thank you all.
2: i don 't know whether you can see me over these uh, <laughs> this cauliflower <laughs> I will try to stand on my toes this is a very important event a very important organization and I 'm so pleased to be here tonight. I remember last year. How many of you were here last year? Uh. Well, I have a very special introduction to make uh, for Madre Joffrey. She is somebody that I've admired f- since the very first time we met, which was a long, long time ago years before we ever dreamed of anything like the Good Food Awards. She was on a book tour for her very first cookbook, An Invitation to Indian Cooking. Since then, she's gone on to write many more books and has been very much honored. But most importantly, these books have been used in kitchens around the world. Well, her cooking class that day, I think it was right around the opening of Chez Panisse, maybe it was right even before, is fresh in my mind as if it happened yesterday. She taught us how to make puri. Puris, of course, are those little ho-wheat flatbreads that you roll out very thin and then you fry them fast in hot oil which makes them blow up into little puffy balloons Uh, and then you serve them with your pickles and your chutneys and your curries. Well her demonstration was such a display of -of matter-of-fact magic that I knew that I could go home right after that class and make my own. And I did. Well, who was this beautiful young cook in a sari? And how did she get to be such a magnificent teacher, both in person and on the several TV cooking shows she's made over the years? One reason is that she's more than an expert Indian home cook. She was already celebrated, a celebrated actress. She had moved from her native Delhi to London, where she attended the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, and she graduated with honors. And from there, she moved to New York, where she worked on stage. And starting in the mid-60s, she worked in film. She was the star of Shakespeare, Wallet, (laughs) the first big Merchant Ivory movie a role that earned her the best actress award at the Berlin Film Festival she would go on to act in dozens of movies and TV shows all the while writing cookbook after cookbook now how did she get to be such a wonderful cook she hadn't learned to cook when she was growing up but she moved away from, when she moved away from home, she missed the taste of good Indian food. And she implored her mother to send her recipes. Well, her mother sent her recipes, but they didn't have any quantities. Or no, and they didn't have any instructions. So she had to figure this out all by herself. And since she remembered how everything was supposed to taste, she could do that. Have I mentioned that she also has written three children's books? Or the multiple times her cookbooks have won James Beard Awards? You would be amazed at her accomplishments. But to make you understand why she's a mentor of mine, what I've really got to do is to stop here and let her speak for herself. But before I do... I wanna take the opportunity to thank her in advance for her next book, which she is working on right now. It's going to explore the ancient, intimate relationship of Indian food to health and the wisdom of a tradition that recognizes the way we eat as inseparable with our culture. I know this kind of understanding it's invaluable to me, and I know it's going to be invaluable to you. So please welcome Madhur Chafri.
3: Thank you so much, Alice, and I would like to say to all of you that it's such an honor for me to address this very august and such a knowledgeable body of people that I have to learn a lot from as well. So thank you so much for asking me to be here. I came to this country about 60 years ago and I remember uh, coming on the Queen Mary and waving, standing at the rails, and waving ecstatically to the Statue of Liberty. Uh, I was in my early 20s, I was quite fearless, and I was so full of hope and optimism at that time. And as I settled in, I began to realize that there's no good Indian food anywhere to be had publicly. (laughs) And if I was to have any, I would have to cook it myself. Now, we're talking about the early 1950s, and there was not any, any knowledge really about Indian cuisine other than it was curry. And I can't tell you how much I hated that word. I just felt that my whole country's cuisine is being reduced and generalized into this one word, which I hardly, I hardly knew what it meant. I, I certainly didn't represent my food that I grew up with. And I have to tell you a little about that. When I was growing up in India, and we were fighting uh, for Indian independence, against the, uh, fighting against the British, there was one person who used to work with our radio station, All India Radio, and he decided that we have to let Indians know what our country is, how big our country is, how, very, uh, how much variety there was within our country. So we used to go to school and have our atlases and our map books, and there would be England and Ireland on one page, big and looming pink. And then on the next page would be India, the same size, also pink because they were all British territories. And what he did is he printed a map of India, and into it he put all the countries of Europe, because they all fitted in, other than the Soviet Union, and he sent it around, it was sent to us sort of in an underground way, that this is India. Not what you see on your map side by side with the little India and the little Britain. This is India. And I remember our sense of pride in our own country at that time. So this is what I felt as I came here. That we are such a large country. And as in Europe, each country has its own food. It has its own language. It has its own clothes. So we in India, in each state of India have our own clothing, our own food, and our own history of our own food. And and not just that, there are 29 states within India and seven union territories, each with its own history of everything, including food. And I just felt that taking this vast nation and reducing all we had to curry was a great injustice being done to my land. And... So if you were to go to India, let's say you go to one state in uh, southwest India, the state of Kerala, you'll find there Christians, and they will be having food that is recognizably Christian. Now, Christians came to India in the first century AD, and they would be making, for example, at Easter, they would make what they call stew with appam. So stew is goat meat that is cooked with coconut milk and... Uh, cinnamon and cardamom and uh, cloves and spices like that and green chilies and this is eaten with appam which is a bread that many of you may have never have had and it's made again it's made with rice that is fermented and into a batter it's coconut milk is added and then it is thrown into a wok and you swirl the wok around so it settles in the bottom with a little on the sides. So it's like a fried egg, deep in the middle and very lacy and browning along the edges. And those two are served together at Easter. Now this is just food for one day, for one lot of people in one state. And so if you can imagine over a billion people and the variety that they're getting. The Christians in Assam would eat something else, and the Jews, for example, in South India, who also came in the first century AD, they make a dish with chicken and green chilies in a tamarind sauce. Now, the, the Jews of Bombay don't know anything about that dish because they eat a different kind of food. So, this is the kind of variety that I'm talking about that exists in India. And we don't call anything curry, we have every dish has its own name. For example, uh, there's biryani, which is a wonderful rice dish cooked with meat, made in North India most, mostly, but also in parts of the South slightly differently. So that's one name for it. If you say I'm making a biryani, you don't say I'm making a curry, you say I'm making a biryani, and everybody knows what that is. Then you might say I'm making a sambar, which is a dish of split peas, that are stewed. They can be stewed with baby shallots. They can be stewed with some kind of squash. They could be stewed with tamarind, but they're made sour with tamarind juice. And that is very important. That's how you recognize a sambar. They may be a dish known just by what's in it. Potatoes with cumin and asafoetida. How simple can that be? You know what's in it. Potatoes, cumin, and asafoetida. That's what's in the dish. Now, when my mother used to hire uh, a cook, she would say, All right, I have to test him by having him make a complicated sauce. Now, this would be she would pick the dish, a meat sauce generally. Let's say she asked him to make a sauce for Roganjosh. So the cook would then go into the kitchen and he'd chop his garlic, onion, ginger. Depends on how he chopped them. Did he grind it finely? Did he not grind it properly? And then he would have to start frying it in oil. Would he brown it too much? Would he not brown it enough? To brown it properly, you have to to put in sprinklings of water, otherwise it'll burn. So if he does all that correctly, then it'll be a good source. So this would then appear on the table before my mother and all of us would be sitting there. And my mother would look at it taste it, and either she would look down at the tablecloth and say, burnt. Or she would say, well, this cook has a very nice hand, and she would smile. It's all in the hand, that's what Indians say. And some people have the hand to mix everything properly, Put the water in a judicious way, fry and saute in a judicious way, and some people don't. So, all these things become very important in different dishes in Indian cuisine. Then, Indians are also magicians with spices. It doesn't matter where you're from, I can go to a kitchen uh, in Bengal let's say, and smell, and I'd say, this is a kitchen in Bengal, because it would smell of mustard oil, it would smell of mustard seeds. They know their spices, and they use them every part of India. They use them magically and differently from each other. And we know, for example, that mustard seeds, I call them the Jekyll and Hyde of spices, if you just throw them into hot oil, they turn nutty and sweet. If you grind them, you know what happens, they turn pungent and no tinglingly pungent, and they have to be used in a, in a certain way. Cumin, you can draw out so many different spices, uh, so many different tastes, rather, from cumin itself. You can just grind it. It's one flavor. You can roast it and grind it. It's a more concentrated kind of flavor. You can throw it into hot oil. That's a third flavor. And all this is knowledge that is in the head of every Indian, and they will be doing that as, as they cook. And then we also know in India all the medicinal value of spices. And, of course, they come from our books, like the Ayurvedas. And nobody sits around learning morning and night the Ayurvedas. No, we don't do that. It's like, like smoke in the air. You just, osmosis. It just comes in through your nostrils, through your head, through what your grandmother says, through what your mother cooks. And you just begin to learn that if you have an upset stomach, and we don't worry about talking about bodily functions, we talk readily about bodily functions because it's the body that we have to keep in proper order. And we are the ones in charge of it. And we have to do it with our food every day. So we are happy to talk about bodily functions. And so, if your stomach is a little upset, your mother will give you yogurt and rice to eat to just settle the stomach. So we all learn these things at our, uh, at our mother's knees. And uh, it is not something that really needs to be taught to us because we sort of know it already. And then there, there are other things that can happen. We try to balance on a daily basis what our bodies are going to be feeling like, and we do it in various ways. For example, we believe that during a change of seasons, like when winter is just changing into spring, there are dangers. Dangers lurk everywhere and we have to prepare for them in some way. So there are certain dishes that you would eat at the time of changing seasons because they will protect your body. For example, if you go to a place like Goa on the west coast of India, you will be given a certain dish, a shakuti made out of vegetables and coconut that is supposed to be very good for you during the change of seasons time. So this is what you learn in India very slowly, how to balance, keep the body in balance. So when people say to me, so is your Indian food, do you have making a curry today? All this goes through my head and I said, no, I am not making a curry today. So it's just something that I have tried to pass on. I, I remember at one time I was looking for a job in New York, and uh, I, one of the first group of people that I became friends with when I came to this country, somehow it all—they all happened to write for the New Yorker. And they had introduced me to their editor, Mr. Sean. Everyone called him Mr. Sean, Mr. William Sean. And I had met him at various parties, and I thought I would write him a note and say, I'm looking for a job. You don't have a person who writes regularly about food, and may I come and write about food for your magazine? So he was very polite. He said, come on in, and we uh, had a chat. So he said to me, so dear, what would you write about? And I said, oh, this, this is such a wonderful period in America's life. All these lovely ethnic foods are just coming in. We're moving in Japanese food, in Korean food. We're all learning now local dishes. We're learning regional dishes. And they're all coming into America. And what a wonderful time it would be for this kind of exciting exploration of all these ethnic foods, plus what the Americans are eating at the same time. And Mr. Sean sighed, a big sigh, and he said, but dear, what else is there but French food? And of course I didn't get the job, but what I did do was that I went back to my desk, and I went on writing my books. I went on my speaking uh, assignments. I went on talking to people about the glories and wonders about Indian food, Asian food, and all good food. So that sort of became a kind of mission in my life. Now there's one other thing that I just want to touch on very briefly. And that is millet. I'll talk to you about millet for just a little while. <laughs> uh, about about um, six or seven years ago, I was in India. And uh, there was, I was in South India, which is the region of India, where people used to eat a lot of millet. And I suddenly was told that it's disappearing. More and more people are eating white rice because they feel that millet is an association of people being poor, poor people ate millet. And now that they can afford it, the people are turning to white rice. And the millets are, as a result of all that, just kind of disappearing from this world. But what is happening now, I found out when I was in India this last time, that the millets are coming back. And they're being brought back by people like you, very often young people, There are a lot of women attached to these projects as well, who are saying, what happened to our millets? They were our ancient superfood, and why don't we have them anymore? And the wonderful thing about millets is that not only can they grow in drier climates, and our world is getting hotter and drier, and this is ideal for millet. So millet can grow in such climate. And millet has, especially like, things like finger millet, there are many, many, many varieties of millet. Finger millet has three times the amount of calcium that milk has. It has iron and it has uh, protein. And what they have found out, that if you give a child a diet, when it's, especially when it just starts eating solid foods, and you give it to him for two years, him or her, And if it's made out of millet, that diet, but especially millet that has been soaked and roasted and ground and dried, if if you make a porridge with that and give it to a child, he will have or she will have all the nutrition the child needs for the rest of its life. Its brain will develop properly, and its bones will develop properly. So it will have got the right start in life. You can call millet as something that provides a, like a Head Start program. That's what it is. (laughs) Millet is a Head Start program all by itself. So I have become very interested in it, and of course it's gluten free. And in this day and age, when so many people are developing celiac disorders, and children with ADHD and autism spectrum disorders are being told to stay off uh, gluten. This is an ideal diet for all of us to know about, and we should really be pursuing it. Now, I do know that there is one group of people that is trying very hard to do something about it, and they are known as the Millet Project. Uh, at Berkeley. And there are two people in this project that I've talked to at some length, Amrita Hazra and Patricia Bubna. These are two people that I know who are working on this project, as there are many others. They're not the only ones. And what they do is they give out millet, especially in the state of California, where there's a lot of heat and and dryness, and they give it out to farmers to grow. And the farmers are growing it, and especially in places like... uh, Chico, for example, where they have rice growing in, in water where there's no, really, water to be had. People themselves are told to shower for five minutes, but they're growing rice in water. So why don't we change to millet and grow it? Because it's, such, it's absolutely the right thing to grow in this area. So I would just like, because I have you all here, <laughs> and you are such a learned in the world's ways of the food world group of people with great ingenuity. I would like to appeal to you to look at the local millet projects in your area to see that they're well-funded, to see that people get machines for threshing uh, and they have enough funds to to get machines for hulling, de-hulling millet, because that's what needs to be done. So I hope all this is going to happen. And uh, I just hope, I would like to say here, a great hooray for good food, for good food all over the world, for good food, uh, Indian food, good Indian food, and I would also like to say a hooray for millet. I will now produce... (laughs) I would like to produce, out of the thin air, an Indian spoon made out of millet. (laughs) And If a child has a millet porridge in the morning with the spoon, as he or she eats, the spoon will get softer and softer, and he will be able to end up by eating the whole spoon. I would like to thank you all very much for allowing me to speak here. Thank you.
1: (laughs) She's a total badass, isn't she? (laughs) Let's give her another round of applause. That was amazing. I really think that we're gonna actually see millet cakes on the menu of Chez Panisse at some point soon. What do you think? Um, Thank you, Madhur, very much. I'm thrilled to introduce you next to one of our Good Food Merchant Retailer Collaborative members, Raina Wilson, who comes from Good Earth Natural Foods up in Marin to announce the very first Good Food Award winner of 2018, the Pickles category.
4: Hello, lovely people. The winners for the pickle category are from the District of Columbia for their Cajun okra, Gordy's pickle jar. From Michigan for their dill pickle sauerkraut, the Brinery. From Minnesota for their grandma's bloody pickles, grandma's gourmets. From Montana for their curried carrot pickles, Roots Kitchen and Cannery. From Nebraska, for their sauerkraut, provisions by the gray plume. From New York, for their hearts on firekraut, food and ferments. From Ohio, for their pineapple cilantro kombucha, fab ferments. From South Carolina, for their shiso leaf kimchi and low country kimchi, the juice hive. From Washington State, for their MJ's Bread and Butter Pickles and their MJ's Basil Bread and Butter Pickles, Johnson Berry Farm. For their cumin jalapeno sauerkraut, Kraut. From California, for their grapefruit hibiscus heather kombucha, boochcraft. For their green papaya, Thai kimchi, Cecilia's Gardens. For their lemon verbena hop pickles, Pacific Pickle Works. For their pickled shiitake mushrooms, Shed. And finally, to speak on behalf of this year's pickle winners from Maryland, Megan Carpenter of Hex Ferments for her Glow Kraut.
5: It's already been a night to remember. (laughs) Um, I'm honored to be here on behalf of the Pickle category and Hex Ferments. Thank you to the Good Food Awards team for putting on a wonderful evening and for the work you do every day. Congratulations to all the Good Food Award winners and finalists, and a huge thank you to our fermentation team back home in Baltimore. When my husband Shane and I realigned our lifestyle to grow more food and preserve it, we had no intention of starting Baltimore's first fermented foods company. We wanted to be more deeply rooted to our community by way of fermentation, but unsure of the form it would take. Food activists at heart, we became involved in collectively-run community gardens growing vegetables. We broadened our network of friends, neighbors, farmers, and chefs to help expand Baltimore's food landscape. With an abundance of vegetables, we created ferments for others and soon discovered that Baltimore was ready to embrace living foods. It was collaborating with our community that encouraged us to take our home fermentation practice to the next level, becoming a business. And with this decision, many questions and challenges arose. Luckily for us, the fermentation world has a culture of mentorship and sharing. I first learned of Sander Katz through a zine, small little zine, Wild Fermentation, as a young art student. In the days before Google was a verb, I followed Sander through his books and attempted to make everything. Eventually, Shane and I became his students at Short Mountain in Tennessee. Sander is a self-described fermentation revivalist. He reminded us that fermentation is fundamentally simple and that humans and the microbial world are and always have been intertwined. He taught us that this ancient practice was invented from necessity and that we should experiment and make mistakes. He gave us permission to fail. Well, at our first workshop with Sander, we were introduced to Cultured, another Good Food Award winner. We were immediately intrigued by their artistry, flavors, and model of a husband and wife run pickle business. Alex and Kevin are incredibly generous people who have been making extraordinary ferments for over 20 years. A Wiga culture taught us that if we wanted Hex to succeed, we would need a team of people who believe in what we do, to know that you can't please everyone, and to educate as many people as possible as to what a pickle can be. They reminded us that you will never master this craft, but if you work hard and respect your ingredients, you might create something worth selling. For us, the mentorship of other fermenters has been invaluable. It's hard work, but each day is filled with new discoveries and we carry on the tradition of sharing fermentation knowledge with our team and growing community. Fermentation is a perpetual negotiation with microbes in time, with the invisible made manifest through flavor. So as we like to say, go with your gut. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Megan. My gut loves pickles. (laughs) Um, And now to present the Pantry Awards, Mary Rocha from Palace Market.
6: It's kind of bright up here. Good evening, everyone. Um, Here to present for Pantry, from Georgia for their Vidalia Chutney, ANA Alta Cucina Italia. (laughs) From Maryland for their Sesame Tahini Dressing, Dress It Up Dressings. From Michigan for their Roasted Tomatillo Salsa, American Spoon. From Minnesota, we have for their fresh basil garlic, garlic, it's spelled differently, so I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. For their K-Mama sauce, K-Mama sauce. From New Hampshire, for their spiced beet vinegar, Woe's Kitchen Creation. I hope I got that one right, too. From New Jersey for their tomato and white Sultana Chutney Le Bon Magot. <laughs> from New Jersey, um, sorry, from North Carolina for their Dusty Foothills chili sauce, Nana's Provisions. <clears throat> from Oregon for their green fire-roasted chili sauce, bunches and bunches. From Rhode Island, for their crunchy cacao peanut butter, Sonobi Superfoods. From Washington State, for their grass-fed goat milk ghee, Mount Capra. Also from Washington State, for their Sonny's spicy eggplant, Kasundi, Seattle Canning Company. And the last four winners are all from, <clears throat> excuse me, all from California. For their country miso, Aden. <clears throat> for their garlic relish, Akka's Handcrafted Foods. <clears throat> for their ole mole balsamic, Chaparral Gardens. <clears throat> and for their sambal satay cashew nut. Nuts, Sa Sajen. Congratulations, everyone.
1: Thank you, Mary. And congratulations to all the pantry winners. Um, and now to present the coffee awards, John Pruden of Taste in Virginia Beach and Joss Santamaria of Foragers Market in New York City. And the winners for coffee are from Colorado
7: for their Ethiopia Key Kirite Ozo Coffee Roasters. From Florida for their Ethiopia Shakizo Natural Perla Specialty Roasters. From Missouri for their Ethiopia Hambella Blueprint Coffee. From Montana for their Ethiopian Kion Mountain Guiji Dry, Revel Coffee. From New Jersey, for their Kayon Mountain Farm Natural, OQ Coffee Company. For their Ethiopia Guiji Mormora Farm, Royal Mile Coffee. And from California, for their Ethiopia Banco Gotiti, Compelling Coffee for their Ethiopia Tea Cure and Bessa Intelligentsia Coffee and Tea. Josh? Yeah.
8: Speaking of coffee, I could go for a cup right now. Uh, from Oregon, we have, uh, for the Ethiopian Bishan Fugu, Noble Roasting, uh, sorry, Noble Coffee Roasting. From Pennsylvania, for their Ethiopia, Ethiopia Memora, we have Square One Coffee. From Texas, for their Ethiopia, Guiji Kayon Mountain Farm Organic Natural Process, we have Noble Coyote Coffee Roasters. From Virginia, for their Limu de Bessa, Ethiopia, we have Mudhouse Coffee Roasters. From Washington State, for their Ethiopia Yergeshef uh, Natural Daniel Miju, we have Vashon Coffee Company. From Wisconsin, for their Gadeb Lot 83 Ethiopia Natural, we have JBC Coffee Roasters. And finally, to speak on behalf of all the coffee winners, we have Ed Alagozian of the Pachamama Coffee Cooperative for their organic Ethiopia Kosa Geisha and their organic Ethiopia Amaro Natural.
9: It's my honor to be here today on behalf of Pachamama Coffee Cooperative and the thousands of small-scale farmers that own this unique coffee roaster. As Pachamama's director of coffee, it is my job to do no harm while revealing the very best in the coffee we roast. The real winners of our Good Food Awards are the coffee farmers in Ethiopia. Thank you. Fair trade started with good intentions and took a step in the right direction. Direct trade built upon Fairtrade's legacy. When Pachamama was created, its founders decided to take it one step further with farmer ownership. We need to make this right for coffee farmers. When they stand behind the farming, roasting, marketing, and distribution of the coffee They maintain complete control over their destiny. On average, our customers paid almost $12 per pound directly to coffee farmers in 2017. That is six times more than the fair trade minimum price. Six times. Organized as a cooperative, Pachamama is 100% owned and governed by farmers in Ethiopia, Guatemala, Mexico, Nicaragua, and Peru. Our boardroom is compi- comprised of farmers led by Merlene Preza of Protocoop in Nicaragua. Merline asked us to relay this message to you. Thank you for this great honor. For us, Pachamama Coffee Cooperative represents our dreams of serving you the best coffee, freshly roasted in the United States. When we started with Fairtrade 25 years ago, it was our ultimate dream to roast and and brand our coffee, selling it as a value-added product. For our small farmers, the Pachamama model is an evolution born from the necessity and a strong determination to stay on the farm. We have invested in our own future To better serve you and we will continue to reinvest in serving you quality coffee roasted in California. Thank you sincerely When Pachamama hired me to establish a roasting operation in Sacramento in 2015 the co-op had already established wholesale and cafe operations It was my goal to establish a roastery that honored the craft and did so for the benefit of all. The judges have spoken, and thank you for this honor. When you brew your coffee tomorrow morning, say the words, I intend to bring forth heaven on earth for the benefit of all, and the farmers will hear you.
1: Congratulations y'all. Thank you. Congratulations to the coffee community. Um, I, I'm always in, so in awe of, of how the good food, uh, the good coffee community has done um, what they've done to empower farmers all around the world. Um, so let's give them another round of applause. Our, our next category is preserves and to present this category is Greg O'Neill, a Pastoral artisan cheese and bread and wine in Chicago.
10: Good evening. Um, I was supposed to be accompanied by the lovely Kendall Antonelli of uh, Antonelli's Cheese in Austin, but she wanted to make sure this wasn't the good flu award. So uh, she stayed home and did us all a favor. We hope she gets better quickly. So the winners are from Georgia for their Strawberry Blueberry Jalapeno Jam Regina's Farm Kitchen, From, from Hawaii. For their passion fruit jalapeno preserves and their Tahitian lime ginger preserves, Akaka Falls Farm. For their passion fruit Hawaii fruit paste, Maui Fruit Jewels. From Michigan, for their chili jam and their wild thimbleberry jam, American Spoon. For their organic Great Lakes pear preserves, Food for Thought. From Missouri, for their apricot lemon thyme preserves and their strawberry lemon verbena preserves, larder and cupboard. From California, for their ume plum plum jam, Ume bashi. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. From North Carolina, for their roasted strawberry preserves, fiddlehead farm. Also from North Carolina for their peach, apple, brandy, butter, pick and preserve. From Oregon for their Aronia Hascap fruit spread and their Columbia Star Aronia lavender fruit spread, Mount Hope Farms. For their organic quince paste, San Carlos Quince. From Pennsylvania for their Jim's raspberry jalapeno pepper jam. Christina Mazur Company. From Vermont for their Wild Blueberry and Thyme Preserves, Blake Hill Preserves. And from Washington State for their Strawberry Basil Jam, Johnson Berry Farm. Congratulations.
1: Elijah, you're our future, man. I love it. It makes me so happy to see you up here. Thank you. Congratulations to all the Preserve winners. Now, I'm, I'm really pleased to introduce Amelia Minucci of DeBruno Brothers in Philadelphia. Yeah. I guess we got some Philly fans in here, right? <laughs> and Beau Vondra of Looks Market in Sioux Falls, South Dakota to present the Charcuterie winners of 2018.
7: Go
11: Birds!
7: (laughs) (laughs) And the winners are, from Colorado, for the Calabrese Salami Elevation Charcuterie and Artisan Meats. From Illinois, for their Culatello and Duya Artisans. For their Holy Cow Beef Dry Salami Sticks Red Bear Provisions. From New York, for their Smoked Copa Brooklyn Cured. For their Campo Seco, Dry Cured Country Salami, Charlitos Cochina. From North Carolina, for their Picante Salami, American Pig. Get them both.
12: From Oregon, for their Chorizo El Rey, Olympia Provisions. (laughs) For their Fuet and their Sobrezada de Mallorca, Toro Bravo. From Utah, for their Spicy Copa, Tex Meats. From West Virginia, for their Hot Capicola, Farmer's Daughter Market and Butcher. From California, for their Salameto Picante Dry Chorizo and their Soprasada Framani Handcrafted Foods. For their Milano Salami Thistle Meats. And finally, to speak on behalf of all the charcuterie winners from North Carolina, Sam Suchoff of Lady Edison for their Spanish-style chorizo and their sweet soppressata, sharing these good food awards with their collaborator, collaborator, San Giuseppe Salami Company.
13: Thank you. Uh, When most people hear the word charcuterie, they think of uh, a knife-wielding sausage maker with a hog carcass over one shoulder and a string of salami over the other. We focus on the transition from meat to magic and the artisan who oversees it. This year, the folks behind the Good Food Awards were interested in showing that, of course, good food is about craftsmanship and sustainability, but it's also about collaboration and partnership. The award we received this year were given jointly to Lady Edison and San Giuseppe Salami Company, and I've been asked to share the story of that collaboration. Lady Edison started seven years ago when I convinced Rufus Brown at Johnson County Hams to put up some hams for me. I had just opened up a small barbecue restaurant where we bought and continue to buy whole hogs from a co-op of animal welfare-approved independent hog farmers. So once a month, I would send a bunch of hams to be put up. Uh, when I started with working with Rufus, I had a number of close friends in the food world suggest I get him to maybe tweak the recipe so that the hams could be uh, a little bit more my own thing. Maybe I could get him to cut back on the salt, maybe add black pepper. Uh, it was clear that these hams stood out from the other hams that he was making due to the quality of the pork that I was sending him. Uh, but that quality had nothing to do with me. It was the farmers who I worked with that get the credit for that. What could I do to make this ham mine? Uh, There was a big part of me that agreed with my friends. If I wanted to produce something that I could feel proud of, there should be a part of me in that product. In the end, I decided to let Rufus do his thing. And other than extending the aging time, Lady Edison hams are cured out just like Rufus cures his other hams, just like his father before him cured out his hams. Similarly, the recipes for the sweet sopressata and Spanish chorizo, for which I am being honored here tonight, were developed by Giacomo Santamoro. Again, I bring the animal welfare-approved pork to the table, but that's on the farmer, not me. And so whenever I talk about how amazing this Lady Edison stuff is, I always make sure to say, I'm not bragging because the quality that makes them so good have absolutely nothing to do with me. And instead of feeling proud of the fruits of my labors, I feel extremely lucky. Lucky to work with the people I work with. Lucky for the opportunity to bring people together who enhance each other's talent and hard work. But there is an ounce of false modesty when I claim that the end results have nothing to do with me. I am proud of my ability to form and maintain real relationships based on trust and respect. Because while it's great to celebrate talented individuals, it's more important, not just in good food, but in everything we do, to celebrate and encourage collaboration and partnership. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sam. And I love that you're continuing this theme of togetherness. It's, it's so important and why we're all here again tonight, right? Um, congratulations to all the charcuterie winners. Um next I'm very pleased to introduce John Boyle of the Market of Choice in Oregon to present the 2018 fish winners.
14: Hi everybody. All right, let's go to the waters. So the winners are from Alaska for their smoked canned geoduck wild fish cannery, from California for their smoked black cod and their smoked trout shed, seen them up here before. For their Jordan's Chef Reserve Caviar and their wild cold-smoked salmon, Tsar Nikolai Caviar. For their uh, their cold-smoked McFarland Spring Trout, Two by the Sea. From Oregon, for their Columbia River wild-smoked Chinook Salmon, uh, Bone Appetit Management. From Texas, for their traditional cold-smoked King Salmon, Lox Box, and Barrel Celtic Seafair. Excuse me. And from Washington State for the Mediterranean solid white albacore tuna St. Jude Tuna for their Think Pink Wild Pink Salmon, Pure Alaska Salmon Company with Ocean Beauty Seafoods. Congratulations, everyone.
1: Thank you, John, and congratulations to all the fish winners. Next, we're gonna present the Confection Awards, and to do that, we've got Grace Singleton of the legendary Zingerman's family of businesses in Ann Arbor, Michigan.
11: Good evening. The winners of the Confection category from Florida, for their cardamom Rose Caramel Sauce, Sapore della Vita. From Massachusetts, for their Silk Road Halva, Halva Heaven. From Missouri, for their Browned Butter Bar, Patrique Chocolates. From New York, for their Dark Chocolate Peanut Butter Cup with Malden Sea Salt, Eat Chic Chocolates. From North Carolina, for their Sunflower Crunch Cup, Chocolaté Confections. For their Earl Grey Dark Chocolate Ganache, Escazu Artisan Chocolates. From Oregon, for their Matcha Mint Bar Alma Chocolate. For their Almond Crisp and their Earl Grey Batch PDX. From Vermont, for their original Goat's Milk Caramel Sauce, Fat Toad Farm and for their Salted Maple Pecan Caramel Red Kite Candy. From Washington State, for their caramel sauce and their dark chocolate sauce, Franz Chocolates. From Wisconsin, for their Coconut Dream Bar and their Mayan Spice Bar, Mayana Chocolate. From California, for their French Silk Bachi Artisan Chocolatier. For their Lemon Burst, Michael's Chocolates. For their Dark Chocolate Espresso Crispies, Nubia SF. And for their EMJ, Top of Europe, Sweet 55. And finally, to speak on behalf of all the Confections winners from Washington State, we have Kim Wilson of Good King for her Harmony Gourmet Snacking Cacao. Congratulations. Thank you, Good Food Awards team,
15: Sarah, Emily, Marissa, and the countless volunteers who are advancing Good Food. I'm grateful to accept the award for the confections category. It's a dream to be included among such talented pioneers. And to my selfless coworkers here tonight, thank you for your faithfulness and belief in our work. When I began working in equatorial cacao growing communities, I didn't know how God's plans would unfold. I only knew I wanted to contribute to better lives for both consumers and growers. Though I'd seen effective efforts to improve farmer livelihoods, I wondered why do the vast majority of profits and consumption still reside a world away? Is fair and local food system for cacao even possible? What could be made locally Facing oppressive tropical heat, unreliable electricity and water, confounding local regulations, less than ideal infrastructure, and fierce competition, chocolate wasn't the answer. Yet an idea was emerging for a crunchy snack made with whole peeled cacao beans. It could be made locally and doesn't melt. I enlisted our friends at Koptan Musagena in Indonesia for the first experiment. When I asked for help, five women showed up. I was stunned. I'd only met one female cocoa farmer prior, and I'd recently attended a conference where the speaker corrected himself after addressing ladies and gentlemen because I was the only lady in the room. That's when I realized this wasn't a farming experiment. It was a food experiment, and in most rural cultures around the world, men are in the field and women are in the kitchen. Creating snacking cacao allowed us to bring jobs to women. The experiment worked. The communities where we work are forerunners. They'd already been earning nearly double the world market price due to their cocoa quality. And now, their own previously underemployed women are empowered to earn an income as well, increasing the revenue generating power of cacao by more than 50%. To be clear, we're still working toward a fair and local food system. They've just begun to make finished, lightly caramelized and flavored snacking cacao for sale locally. And for food safety reasons, Good King's final recipe production and packing have yet to transition to origins. But as you'll taste tonight, the intelligent and hardworking women at Style in Honduras who created our Harmony Snacking Cacao are back in business and warmly welcomed back to the table with their male counterparts. This weekend, we warmly welcome you to our table as well to experience cacao likely for the first time as a crunchy, dark chocolatey, better for you snack co-created in partnership between artisans in Seattle and Honduras. Thank you.
1: All right, I'm going to give a shameless plug for the Women's March tomorrow. Who's going? Thank you, Kim. Um, I'm very pleased to introduce Will Frischkorn of Cured in Boulder, Colorado to present the 2018 chocolate winners.
16: Good evening, everybody. Pleased to announce our uh, chocolate winners this evening. First from Arizona for their coffee and coconut milk, 55% Stone Grinds chocolate. From California for their 73% Northerner blend, Dick Taylor Craft Chocolate. From Florida for their signature collection, Tumaco Dark Milk 60%, Castronovo Chocolate. From Georgia for their San Martin de Pangoa, Peru 70%, Chocolato Small Batch Chocolate. From Maryland for their Coconut Milk Mocha Charm School Chocolate. From Massachusetts for their Esmeralda, 70% Goodnow Farms chocolate. From Michigan for their Tanzania 70% Fresh Coast Chocolate Company. And from Missouri for their 70 or 67% Madagascar their 70% signature blend and the Salty Cow All Patrick chocolate. From New Mexico for their Guatemala Verapaz 70% and their Maya Mountain Belize 70% Chocoa Bean to bar. From New York for their brown buttermilk, 43%, their milk chocolate quinoa crunch, and their wild Bolivia, 74%, fruition chocolate. From Ohio for their big island, Maverick Chocolate Company. From Oregon for their brown butter bar, Creo chocolate. And from Utah for their vanilla bar, 70%, ritual chocolate.
1: Congratulations to all the chocolate winners. Um, and now, um, one, of, one of my favorite retailers in the country and, and the chair of the Good Food Retailers Collaborative, Danielle Vogel of Glenn's Garden Market in Washington, DC, to present the beer awards.
17: Beer, I'm so happy to be here. I could, I could barely resist. All right, and the winners are, um, from Maine for their 16 counties, Allagash Brewing Company. From Michigan for their farmhand farmhouse ale, Brewery Vivant. From Missouri for their glitter and gold and their savant Beersel, perennial artisan ales. From New Hampshire, for their Love Me Long Time Bohemian Pilsner, Throwback Brewery. (laughs) From North Carolina, for their Farm's Edge Alexis, their Farm's Edge Brumley Forest, and their Farm's Edge uh, Dinson's Orchard, Full Steam Brewery. (laughs) From Oregon, for their Dreadnought Tropical Stout, Falling Sky Brewery. For their Amber Ale, Full Sail Brewing Company. <laughs> for their Pacific Rain Pale Ale, Nankazi Brewing Company. <laughs> from Virginia, for their Tidings Ale, Port City Brewing Company. <laughs> and my personal favorite. Um, from Washington State, for their Ruddy Rhubarb Sour Ale, Atwood Ale's Farm Brewery. From Wisconsin for their My Turn Lateef Double Chocolate Stout Lakefront Brewery. From California for their Apricot de Bredeville uh, Almanac Beer Company. For their Cherryland Drake's Brewing Company. For their Flanders Red Ale South Paw Barbecue. so fun. And finally, to speak on behalf of all the beer winners from Texas, Tim Klatt of Strangeland Brewery for his Ad hole bros scotch ale.
8: <laughs> thought I'd start by asking if we're going to have a protest of beer before I get started. Okay, got that out of the way. Um, I mean, wow, what an honor to be in the midst of such a passion-filled community. Uh, My sincerest thanks to the Good Food Foundation for their support of craft producers and for this tremendous opportunity to speak with you. I believe in the power of fermentation, the power to transform energy to a more stable and beneficial state. I've developed this belief over the last 10 years I was inspired by my late late father to begin brewing beer at home, and that soon became an all-consuming passion. I knew deep down that my calling was to brew beer for a living. Uh, That calling meant leaving the apparent stability of mechanical engineering and the Air Force. Um, I left Albuquerque and returned to Austin, where connections from uh, school, church, and family would enable me to pursue brewing uh, professionally. So I went from developing a missile warning satellite sensor that could stare at the Earth from 36,000 kilometers in space to building a 500-gallon brew system. Uh, Sure. Thank you. Yes. Um, So 500-gallon brew system that we built in the Hill Country of Texas with my uh, friend and partner, Rick Bucard, uh, who's a fellow engineer and um, business owner. Uh, We then began the process of renovating a somewhat dilapidated warehouse into what's now known as Strangeland Brewery. That warehouse, which happened to belong to a local burger joint, um, led to a new partnership and a foray into fermented foods, fermented vegetables, in another company, Hack Creek Provisions, which was a Good Food Awards finalist a couple years ago. And then right before we were uh, going to launch Strangeland, uh, I got wind of an opportunity to acquire the Texas Sake Company. So I convinced my partners that we needed to start fermenting sake as well. (laughs) Um, Keeping all these projects alive pulled me into collaboration with my brother, Nate, who's our CFO. He's here tonight. Uh, He's the leader of Rockport Investment Partners, and his energy and vision inspire me and my longtime business partner, Adam Blumenschein, to search after the best ingredients and people to create products based on quality and authenticity. So this interaction of people and ideas reminds me of fermentation. We blend together to create something new and better. As I said in the, in the beginning, I believe in the transformative power of fermentation. It's the power to transform communities and ecosystems, and economies, and accessibility to nutrition, appreciation of our past, hope for our future. I, I hope that you all too feel this power to tr- transform in all of us. And I firmly believe that it's this passion that we have for all of our crafts that will take our world to a more stable and beneficial state. So again, congrats to all the beers, guys, and thank you.
1: Congratulations, yes. Congratulations to all the beer winners, and thank you, Tim. Um, and now, I'm honored to introduce you to Byright's very own Liz Martinez, who's been by my side kicking ass for the last 15 years, to announce the cider winners of 2018.
18: Welcome, everyone. The winners in the cider category are... From Colorado, for their Grand Cru Saezan and their Chester Hoppercott, Big Bee's Hard Cider. Yeah! Can I say it? Goonies never say die. Great name, you guys. Love it. Uh, and also from Colorado, for their Colorado Heritage Blend, Stem Cider. Stem Ciders, sorry. From New York, for their Old Time Cider, South Hill Cider, From Oregon for their Sage Wildcraft Cider Works. From Vermont for their ProNoia Fable Farm Fermentary. For their Shaxbury Dry, Shaxbury, that stuff was tasty outside earlier. From Virginia for their Allegheny Gold Big Fish Cider Company. For their levity and their serendipity, Castle Hill. For their first fruit, Foggy Ridge Cider. From Washington State, for their Perry and their traditional cider, Dragon's Head Cider. For their Blue Hue, Finn River Farm Cidery. And from the great state of California, for their Golden Rule Ethic Ciders. For their Proper Dry and their You've Guava Be Kidding Me Far West Cider Company. Cider, you guys have the best names, I gotta say. This is, this is great. And for their Newtown Pippin Lassen Traditional Cider. Congratulations. Nice work.
1: Congratulations to all the cider winners. Now I'm very pleased to introduce Jeremy Collins of Healdsburg Shed, which has won two awards tonight, to present the 2018 Elixir winners.
19: Hello. And our Elixir winners are from the District of Columbia for their Embitterment Chocolate Bitters, Modern Bar Cart. For their Just Grapefruit, Shrub District. From Illinois, for their Spiced Orchard Shrub, Southport Grocery. From Louisiana, for their Chicory Pecan Bitters and their Greek Rose Cordial, El Guapo Bitters. From Massachusetts, for their Ginger Syrup, Old Friends Farm. From Michigan, for their Raspberry Syrup, Swallowtail Farm. From Minnesota, for their rhubarb and basil shrub and their tomato and basil shrub, Gardener. <laughs> From New York, for their black pepper rich simple syrup, Blank Slate Kitchen. From Oregon, for their cardamom bib- bitters, The Bitter Housewife. From Virginia, for their chai pear shrub, Element Shrub. From Washington State, for their Ruby Spiced Apple Shrub, Girl Meets Dirt. For their English Cucumber Lime and Mint Shrub, Reverend Al's Bonafide Potence. From California, for their Underwater Orchard Citrus and Juniper Shrub, Backyard. For their Plum Shiso Shrub, Shed, for their Ume plum syrup, Yume Boshi. And finally to speak on behalf of all of the Elixir winners from Colorado, Shay Whitney of Dram Apothecary for her pine syrup.
20: Hi. Um whew. It's an honor to be standing in this room tonight among so many other people who have committed their lives to the production of food and drink produced using methods and ingredients that are not deleterious to our planet and bodies. My interest in food began 10 years ago at the Evergreen State College when I chose to study food science and ecological agriculture. In my program, we talked about the great chefs and writers that were changing food, how we produced it, wrote about it, and how we ate it, such as the late great MFK Fisher, Wendell Berry, Michael Pollan, and Alice Waters, to name a few, although I never thought I would would find myself here today accepting an award from someone whose work I have admired so dearly. I wasn't raised around good food. I wasn't raised on a farm. I hadn't even seen food being grown in soil until I was 20 years old. In my family, they served a lot of love, but a balanced meal was considered a hot dog in both hands. (laughs) But studying how our food is produced and learning to be a more responsible eater opened up a world for me that was rich with emotion, passion, heartbreak, and of course flavor, and I fell in love. I was drawn to elixirs specifically because they are the magic potions we add by drops, Dashes and spoonfuls to bring our food and beverage concoctions to life, to add balance, nuance, and mystery. I was enamored by the history of bitters in America the beautiful bottles, the snake oil claims, and legitimate healing uses, such as bitters for digestion, switchels and shrubs for hydration on long workdays in the fields, and herbal syrups for stubborn coughs. Elixirs can be both hedonistic and healing. When I launched my company with my partner, Brady Becker, we wanted to take production one step further than field to bottle, into the wild, to produce the flavors found in the forests and prairies of our home state of Colorado. For these products, Mother Nature is our main collaborator and co-conspirator. She determines the flavors we offer, such as pine syrup, wild mountain sage bitters, and elderberry switchel. Inadvertently, we became the caretakers of the wild lands from which we forage by cleaning up the garbage left by careless campers and clearing out invasive species of plants before they go to seed. Our business model led us to put down roots in a rural town so we could be closer to the source of our ingredients and eventually to the purchase of farmland this past year so we can grow any plants we cannot forage. I believe this intention becomes a tangible experience when you enjoy any food or drink grown, gathered, and produced with care. The devotion to quality is a palatable ingredient. And so I would like to thank the tasteful eaters and drinkers, the curious bartenders, chefs, and shopkeepers that make it possible for me and everyone standing here tonight to make a living pursuing our Epicurean dreams, no matter how wild. And of course, a big congratulations to the Alchemists of Elixirs, who have been awarded their own well-deserved category this year. Cheers.
1: I got to judge the Elixir category this year, and it was amazing. And Shay's Pine Syrup is really a mind-bender. It's so cool. Congratulations, y'all. Um, and thank you, Shay. I'm pleased to introduce Sarah Wilson next from Market Hall Foods in Oakland to present the 2018 Oil Awards.
21: The winners are from California for their estate Sicilian blend, Bandolio, For their jalapeno crush olive oil, Cali Virgin Olive Oils. For their organic basil crush, Enzo Olive Company. Olive oil company. For their extra virgin olive oil, Frantoyo Grove. For their extra virgin olive oil, Hudson Ranch for their Mission Olive Oil, Manini Ranch, for their extra virgin olive oil, Tuscan Blend, Swain Family Ranch, and then from the state of Georgia, for their pecan oil, Oliver Farm Addison Oils.
1: Congratulations to all the oil winners. And thank you, Sarah. Um, Next, we'll be presenting the awards for honey. And to do that, we've got Eleanor Geese of Each Peach Market in Washington, D.C.
22: I'm pleased to be here to present the category of honey. And the winners are from Georgia for their sourwood honeycomb, mountain honey. For their wildflower honey, charm, swar- swarm chasers, apiaries. From Hawaii for their dark kiave honey, akaka Farms, falls farm. From Maine for their gold star gold, gold star honeybees. From Michigan for their raw Michigan wildflower honey, red-headed honey. From Oregon for their pioneer square and their Sauvie Island, Jacobson Salt Company plus B Local. From Pennsylvania for their wildflower honey, palace apiaries. From Virginia for their daddy's sweet inspiration, Hippie chick apiary. From Washington State, for their Snowberry Rose, Sequim Bee Farm. From California, for their California Avocado Honey, Bloom Honey. For their Tree Blossom Honey, Heath, Urban Bee, San Francisco. And finally, to speak on behalf of all the honey winners, from Pennsylvania, Christina Newman, of Apoidia apiary for their Allegheny fall fallopia wildflower honey.
23: On behalf of honey makers, bees included, included, (laughs) I'd like to express our sincere appreciation to the Good Food Foundation for creating this award, which gives awareness to all the hard work that goes into producing good honey. Good honey is authentically crafted honey made with a focus on natural beekeeping and humane bee treatment amidst all the challenges, and there are many. (laughs) My name is Christina Joy Newman, and I'm an urban beekeeper in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with a metro population well over 2 million. All of my 50 to 80 production hives are located within 10 miles of downtown Pittsburgh and are certified naturally grown. My journey with the bees began many years ago as an architect studying biomimicry, which is design problem solving using the natural world as insight. While mentoring with termites to understand how those social insects play an ecological role in tree composting, another social insect, the honeybee, won over my fascination simply because she crafts food. Sorry, termites. For us, most tree cellulose isn't as yummy as honey. (laughs) Globally, bees pollinate 70% of flowering plants that provide sustenance for countless wildlife and human life. Without bees, honey would not be the only good food award category to suffer. There'd be no large apples for cider, no plump coffee cherries for coffee, nor any plentiful milk for cheese from dairy cows who feed on bee-pollinated clover and alfalfa. Beyond pollination, bees offer other inspiration in our divisive times. Specifically, honeybees have a method to work together in decision making that leads to group action known as honeybee democracy. That term was coined by Cornell professor Tom Seeley after years of his research to understand how bees decide to swarm. Swarming is a bee colony's way of reproducing by division. The process requires half the colony to leave and find a new home through agreement of 30,000 or more worker bees. Workers figure the logistics of the move by three steps. Step one, unbiased fact-finding by scout bees to scope out new locations. Step two, fact verification by additional scout bees who double-check prospective homes. And step three, collective action based on the choice of a new home that makes a critical number of bees feel the most positive. So their choice is by positivity. It's an amazing experience to watch the intense coordinated movement of thousands of bees in a swarm shift to an energy of peacefulness once they have settled to a secure new home. We humans, as a species of supposed higher intelligence, can learn a lot from these insects who work together to seek out what is true and what is good and then act collectively with hope. While joining the Women's March on Washington DC almost a year ago today, I held a sign reading Honey Bee Democracy, featuring a circle of bees surrounding the earth. I've made a recyclable sticker of that sign that I'm happy to give to anyone who might appreciate some bee inspiration. So you can see me after if you want a sticker. Um, It's another small step to advocate for our Little Honey co-creators who deserve much respect for all the symbiotic work they do for us and for our planet. Go bees. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Congratulations to all the beekeepers, and thank you for sweetening and pollinating our lives. Um, And thank you, Christina. I'm pleased to introduce next um, one of my personal heroes, Lisa Badalana of Woodstock Farmers Market in Vermont to present the Cheese Awards.
24: Good evening. It's my pleasure to announce the uh, Cheese Awards From Georgia for their Thomasville Tome, Sweet Grass Dairy. From Maryland for their Merry Goat Round Spruce Reserve, Firefly Farms Creamery. From Missouri for their Prairie Tome, Green Dirt Farm. From New York for their Kunick, Nettle Meadow Farm. From North Carolina for their compo and their Winsome Boxcar Handmade Cheese. Also from North Carolina for their Bear Wallow Looking Glass Creamery. From Oregon for their Goat Milk Feta and their Lorelei Briar Rose Creamery. Also from Oregon for their Cascadian Freshette, Golden Artisan Goat Cheese. From the great state of Vermont for their Rupert, Consider Bardwell Farm. From Washington State for their Glacier Blue and their Sawtooth, Cascadia Creamery. From Wisconsin, for their Cave Age Chendoka and their Evalon Leclair Farms. For their Petite Nuage Landmark Creamery. For their fresh goat cheese Montchev. From warm, sunny California. For their whole milk ricotta Bellwether. for their Taupiniere, Laura Channells, for their Bay Blue, Point Reyes, Farmstead Cheese Company.
1: Congratulations. Who doesn't love cheese? Congratulations to all the cheese winners, and now for our final category of the night, I'm pleased to introduce Richard Tarloff of Canyon Market right here in San Francisco, another one of my favorite stores, who's going to be presenting the 2018 Spirit Winners, which soon you'll get to imbibe in.
25: I was a judge in this category, too, and it was Brutal but a lot of great surprises. The winners are from Colorado for their American single malt whiskey, Deerhammer Distillery. From Georgia for their single estate, Virgin Coastal Georgia Rum, Richland Distilling Company. From Minnesota for their Boreal Cider Gin and their Boreal Juniper Gin, Vicra Distillery. From Missouri for their Expedition Rum, Still 630 Distillery. From New York for their citrus forward gin, Black Button Distilling, and for their bourbon, Van Brunt Stillhouse. From Oregon for their calisaya and their finette de Loreto Elixir. From Texas for their baby blue, Balcones Distilling. From Virginia for their roundstone rye, Catoctin Creek Distillery. And from California for their bold. Geneva Style Gin Alchemy Distillery, for their Slow Gin Spirits Works Distillery, and for their Akavit and their Wayward Whiskey Bourbon Venus Spirits. And finally, to speak on behalf of all the Spirits winners, from Oregon, Caitlin Pruitt of Vivacity Spirits for her Trios Brandy.
26: Hello, my name is Caitlin Pruitt, and according to my business card here, I am the owner, distiller, and everything else at Vivacity Spirits in Corvallis. Um, but according to statistics, I am only one of 1% of women-owned distilleries in the country. Woo! <laughs> okay. So thank you to all of the Good Food Awards people um, and everyone here who's making this night possible. I'd like to um, start to talk about collaboration and partnership on the personal business and community levels. Um, So as the saying goes, no person is an island, and that's certainly true for a business as well. Um, Looking back, I'd say to myself, what have I done? How did I get here? How did little old me accomplish all of this? Well, I certainly didn't do it alone. We counted on friends, family, community, cohorts and neighboring businesses, in other words, collaborators, partners, and relationships. My main partner is my husband, Chris Newman, who couldn't be here tonight. He's home with the kid. Um, He is my partner in marriage, business, and all of life's adventures. We've often joked that if we can make it through the starting of a business and running a business, we can go through anything. So far, so good. We're still rocking the marriage thing. (laughs) When we were married, we were asked a series of questions, including what it was that attracted us to each other and what we admired about each other. And the answers from 14 years ago still hold true today. Most had to do with partnership and collaboration through plans, financial decisions, and most importantly, through support and collaborative uh, critique. Although he will tell you what this really looks like, is me saying to him, "Um, honey, I have an idea. And he'll start out saying, (laughs) uh-oh. And then he'll say, well, what do you need me to do to help you get that done? And to some, this may sound a little subservient, which I'm okay with, but really what it means to me (laughs) What it means to me is that he has complete faith in me, um, and he supports my ideas wholly, and he'll, he will join me in accomplishing my goals. The distillery is one such example. It turns out that the two products we've won uh, Good Food Awards for this year and last year have been studies in collaboration and partnership. Coincidence? I don't think so. First, the brandy, which we won for today, um, is named Trios for the winery that worked with us. They are located right up the road from the distillery. And uh, prior to this partnering, we did contract for the distilling and of course um, enjoyed a lot of their wine at home. As the relationship grew and trust was formed, one set of the owners basically had enough faith in us to personally loan us the money to buy the wine back from them from the winery. Trios Brandy is the result of their beautiful wine, our distilling expertise, a layer of friendship, and of course collaboration. It's a beautiful partnership was born. Our Turkish coffee liqueur uses coffee from our local coffee roaster, Oregon Coffee and Tea downtown Corvallis. They worked very closely with us in picking the best bean, the, the right roast, and they even helped us figure out the um, processing method. Both the winery and the coffee roaster maintain uh, production practices which line up with our philosophy. Uh, granted, we could have gotten a cheaper bean, less expensive wine, uh, but then the spirits wouldn't hold up to our standards. Quality products require quality ingredients, which really can only be procured by quality people. And I think this is a common attribute to all of the entrants and winners here today. And I'm hoping to meet more quality people this weekend and see what other collaborations emerge. Cheers, thank you.
1: Congratulations to all the SPIRITS winners, and thank you, Caitlin. It's been my pleasure to be your host tonight. Thank you. But before we end the ceremony, we have one last speaker who needs no introduction. She's the mathematically-minded dreamer that created the Good Food Awards. This amazing platform recognized across the country for uplifting these passionate makers of tasty, authentic, and responsible food that we've all been able to celebrate tonight. She's the inspiration and the organizer that's brought us all together. Please give a warm welcome to Sarah Wiener.
27: Thank you, Sam. I'm not sure why, but for some reason, people people often mistake me for an artist. Might be the unruly curls, or maybe the second-hand shop clothes. It's a romantic title I wish I could lay claim to. But by education, I'm about as far from an artist as you can get. As a trained economist, I was taught to see the world through the lens of rational decisions and maximizing utility. Despite being a dedicated numbers person, I revel in nights like this one, surrounded by 199 of the most talented artists in the country. (laughs) Like all true artists, each of you is compelled by the creative impulse to bring beauty into the world. With cider and cheese, beer and pickles, you lead us to imagine a society that is more nourishing more humane, more sustainable, and more joyful. You serve up these values in each bottle of bitters, wrap them into every bar of chocolate. Your art and your vision for a different, kinder, more connected world are intimately linked. Van Gogh wrote that painters understand nature and love her and teach us to see her. Great distillers, cheesemakers, and brewers do just the same. Like so much of the groundbreaking art that has shaped us over the centuries, your work is driven by strong convictions and bold ideas. Any student of history could tell you that society is rarely quick to embrace ideas that challenge the status quo. Ever since Laura Chanel made that first log of goat cheese, since Sandor Katz began experimenting with wild fermentation, powerful corporations armed with nearly unimaginable resources have worked to halt the spread of your ideas. And yet, against all odds, you have succeeded in fundamentally shifting the desires of a nation, in creating a curiosity and healthy skepticism in us all. As artists, I hope you will indulge an economist in using numbers to paint this picture. Since the Good Food Awards began seven years ago, the 20 largest food corporations in America have lost $18 billion of market share. (laughs) And they lost it to smaller values-based companies. More telling still, this shift in public opinion reaches beyond cosmopolitan cities and deep into the beautiful heartland of our nation. Just last year, the people of Tuganoxie, Kansas, Mason City, Iowa, and Port Arthur, Texas, each self-organized to keep industrial meat factories out of their towns, despite the promise of new jobs. <laughs> Growing up in the Midwest, I can tell you that when Kansas gets on board, the tipping point has been reached. <laughs> there is no turning back. <laughs> Tonight, we celebrate not only the mastery each of you has attained in your craft, but also the epic cultural achievement that collectively we have accomplished this past decade. Your art has created a new moral consciousness. We're starting to expect fair wages to come standard with our morning coffee. Transparency with our cold smoked salmon. Our minds have been opened. We see clearly now. If I were an artist, I'd sleep well tonight. But I'm an economist. And as an economist, I'm uneasy. I see another battle on the horizon. A battle to align our nation's new, more virtuous hunger with what it will truly take to satisfy it. Well, every Good Food Award award winner is my personal favorite. My dear friend Lisa isn't constrained by such fair-minded affections. Each year, come November, she begins a campaign to pry privileged information from me. So, did Avalanche cheese win this year? A huge fan of this Colorado cheese and salami maker She's had a serious discussion with her local grocer about stocking their bandaged goat milk cheddars and finocchiona. Every year I cave, making Lisa happy, sharing the news that, yes, they won once again. This year, Lisa's joy was fleeting. I took a deep breath before sharing some other avalanche cheese news. After a decade accumulating accolades and helping to put Colorado on the culinary map, They still struggled to make the numbers work, and finally decided to close up shop. While some of your businesses are thriving, I have heard too many stories like this one. Every last one of the crafters in this room is scrappy, hardworking, smart, and talented. But they are not magicians, and it is physically impossible to create food with integrity at the same price as corporations intent on earning as much as possible by any means necessary. This past year has been one of awakenings. It was the year we realized that if we want a free press, we need to subscribe to trustworthy newspapers, That if we want to safeguard basic human rights, we must donate to organizations like the ACLU and Southern Poverty Law Center. We understood that we, the people, must stand up for what we believe in with our words, our actions, and our resources. Money speaks. And if we want a tasty, authentic, and responsible food culture, we must speak up for it. (laughs) A strong food system, just like a thriving free press, cannot continue indefinitely without the will to fund it. On the one hand, I see this clearly. On the other, I see that income inequality is at the highest it has been in 50 years. This is where the conversation tends to get uncomfortable. How could anyone ask people to pay more for food when so many are struggling just to get by? But here's the fun bit about being an economist. I get to share a number secret. Just as public radio doesn't require 100% of listeners to participate in funding drives, yet is available to all, we can create a good food system that benefits every single person with only the fraction of society that is most financially able, say the top 30% of earners, taking this responsibility on. I'm not talking about creating an exclusive boutique good food economy for the wealthy. I am promising you that if a third of Americans shifted their buying habits, it would catalyze a complete and utter transformation of the food system for everyone. Think about it. Food is the largest industry in the world. More good food means more good jobs. Income inequality would shrink. Healthy soil would be restored. Rural communities revitalized. People would eat better and be healthier. Healthcare costs would decline. Social pressure would shift towards good farmland policy and small local businesses. To stay relevant, bigger companies would scramble to adopt better practices. Economies of scale would kick in creating yet more good food and more good jobs. That is the promise, the power of good food. Perhaps the idea of suggesting people should look at two cheeses on the shelf and pick the more expensive one still sounds crazy or sorely out of touch. But consider the alternative. Last month, NPR's Planet Money broadcast the story of a Cornell economist studying how it is possible that 40% of the food in America ends up in the trash. 40%. The number one reason, he discovered, is that food has become so cheap. People buy more than they need, knowing full well it's going to rot in their fridge, and simply not caring. Last year, the earth shook, waters rose, fires raged, bullets flew, and we understood that our world is less solid than we once believed. We asked ourselves as artists and economists, teachers and doctors, students and mothers, where could we stretch to mend the part of the world that is within our reach? The American poet Clarissa Pinkola Estes said, what is needed for dramatic change is an accumulation of acts. It does not take everyone on earth to bring justice and peace, but only a small, dedicated group who will not give up during the first, second, or hundredth gale. I can stretch in the grocery store. I can do it a hundred times. Will you join me? <laughs> to the 199 Good Food Award winners, congratulations on what you've achieved tonight. Continue to bring your vision of a better world, a mended world, to life with your masterpieces. To everyone else, I hope you will join me in making the food system one of the sacred institutions you refuse to leave in someone else's hands. How about starting on Sunday at the Good Food Awards Marketplace? (laughs) Spending wildly and freely to support these hardworking artists. I promise you, it will be the most delicious, irrational decision you have ever made. Thank you.